This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Doug Brown, Greg Mackling with you. Thanks for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast, Doug. Let's get right down to it. Uh, I don't want to ask the same exact question at the beginning of two consecutive podcasts, but um, two what losses. In, what the hell happened? That was the question last time. It I was. Yes. Yeah, it was. Two losses in a row. Uh, which one of these two is worse? Um, I think that, well, hmm. You know, that's a good question, and seeing as how I helped generate the this question, I should probably think about the answer to it. Which one is worse? I guess Montreal's loss is more agonizing because you were so far out and so far ahead and so much in control of that game, and then you just watched it slowly slip away. Uh, I believe the best analogy we used was understanding a perfectly scripted horror movie, right? And there's all these mistakes you can make that lead to someone dying or, or the inevitable result in a horror movie, right? Oh, don't go there alone by yourself. Don't go investigate those noises. And the Montreal game played out like a horror movie in that respect that they did all these things that were wrong. And one by one, the lead, a.k.a. the characters, got picked off. Everybody died. And the villain wins in the end, right? That's what happened with Montreal. As improbable as it was, you're like, wow, how is Jason going to kill everyone at Camp Crystal? But he got them all, right? And Montreal won that game. Versus Hamilton, uh, I guess Hamilton was a better loss because they were never in it outside of the first drive in the first quarter where they were up 7 nothing. Other than that, it was just like, whoa. So they're <laughs> hold playing on, a hold better on, team hold here. Hold on, hold on, okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we had Milt Stiegel on uh, the start a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about the idea that the Blue Bombers had a really good chance against Saskatchewan in the Banjo Bowl because of how the Bombers lost on Labor Day. And Milt blew that theory all to smithereens. He says, what? wait, 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 wait. You are telling me people think that the Blue Bombers have a good chance to win this weekend because of how they lost last weekend. And we said, yeah, a lot of people are saying that. He says, that's ridiculous. He says, the reason the Blue Bombers have a chance to win the Banjo Bowl is because they're a good football team. So now you're going to try and tell me. What am I telling you? I'm telling you the Montreal loss was more horrific and a worse loss. You had five days to prepare for Hamilton with that horrible taste in your mouth. Okay. If you want to use the horror movie analogy, usually in that movie you have a couple minutes to make a decision. This is the equivalent of having an amplifier with thousands of speakers in the water and the Jaws music was playing for five days. You knew the spotlight was on you, the shark is coming, and you still didn't get out of the water. It was the same It was the same confounding mistakes. It was well, it the was. same inability to do certain things after that first drive that they couldn't do in Montreal, essentially for the entire second half. We're not only going to have to close the beach, we're going to have to hire somebody to kill the shark. I'm just trying to point this stuff out in case you want to reconsider your answer. Well, no, I mean, it was disappointing in the sense that they talked about all week about, oh, you know, we're going to learn from this and and move on and we have a bad taste in our mouth and it's going to inspire and motivate us. It obviously did not. 
in the game against Hamilton, or Hamilton was just that much better. But when it comes to which loss was worse, in my mind, it was Montreal because they were so dominant, they were so far ahead, and it just slowly eroded and got away from them. Whereas Hamilton, like I said, outside of the first drive, they were just outclassed. They were just playing a better football team, it appeared. And the one interesting thing for me about the game against Hamilton, uh, for some time now, we'd be like, okay, eventually a defense is going to take away the run to a degree away from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And how's this team going to be then? Eventually a team is going to line up, a defense is going to line up and say, okay, we're not going to let Andrew Harris beat us. We want Chris Strebler to beat us. And we don't want him to beat us with his legs on a QB sneak that got the edge. Um, We want him to beat us by putting the ball in the air 30 times. And so this was the first time we actually saw a defense. Now, when I say take the run away, um, I believe the Bombers had 98 yards rushing 98. on 20 carries or something like that, which is way off their average, both uh, uh, yards per carry and, and their total amount. They usually, I mean, they're usually up, what, over 150, between 150 and 200. If you add up Andrew Harris and Chris Strebler and Nick Dembski and Johnny Augustine, you put them all together. It's a big number usually. Now you put all four of those guys together, it's 98 yards. So we got that question answered. What happens to the Winnipeg Blue Bomber offense when they can't run as prolifically as they're used to 13 points? That's what we found out. Uh, and uh, 300 yards through the air, 110 of that came in the fourth quarter when this game was out of hand and out of reach and uh, seemingly all to Kenny Lawler as well. But um we got the, the answer to that question. You know, if this team cannot run the ball, and we thought another defense would be able, would sell out just to stop the run against these guys and, and force Trevor to do it. And that's how good Winnipeg has been at running the ball is that everyone knew what they had to do to beat them and they couldn't stop them, right? And that's how you know, that's a sign of a good team when you can execute, even though everyone, even though the the play, you're communicating the play to the people across from you. Hey, guess what Guess what power run we're, we're doing here? And they know it and they can't stop you. That's a sign of a good team. But Hamilton uh, was able to come in and execute that game plan where let's make them one-dimensional. Let's see if Strebler can beat us through the air with his arm and he wasn't able to. There was one other team that had held the Blue Bombers to under 100 yards this season. Do you know what team that was? Um, no. It was the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Oh, July 26th, and go. the Blue Bombers scored 15 points at Tim Hortons Field. So the Hamilton Tiger Cats are the lone team in the CFL to actually hold the Bombers under 100 yards in a single game. This one's more impressive because you had the two-pronged running attack of Strebler and Harris, whereas that first game against Hamilton, that's when Nichols was playing. It was still, that would have just been the Andrew Harris show on the ground there, and they were more... Uh, capable through the air. So this is even more impressive that Hamilton did it again because they did it again uh, against two guys that are very good at toting the rock. And uh, hats off. I don't know if you give hats off to a guy that probably shouldn't have been playing in the game on Friday night, Simone Lawrence, who got uh, who got fined on the heels of previously being suspended for his play uh, earlier this season, but he had a CFL record 17 tackles, tackles Doug. What was the most tackles you ever had in one game? Uh Eight or eleven or something like that. That's maybe? A, that's a lot for where you, you play. <laughs> different different positions. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, I said this in the pregame show. I said this at the halftime on Friday night. I've been defending this defense uh, up 
upside down, backwards and forwards all over town on Twitter, whenever the opportunity arises. And Doug, I got to stand down on that. I don't know. I feel as though this defense has completely lost its identity, has a crisis in confidence or some other inexplicable act from above has changed exactly who these guys are. Is the act from above their defensive coordinator? What do you think it is? For me, you know, uh, first of all, you, I don't really think you write off a defense in two games uh, when, you know, the other uh, the other 12, uh, they were the backbone of the team. But you are right. I feel like I've witnessed a phenomenon of the last two games. I feel like the connection between the defensive line and the secondary has been severed in the sense that uh, I wrote about this in, in the Winnipeg Free Press for Tuesday um, I just took a look. Now, the, C- the CFL doesn't uh, cover or keep track of pressures anymore because it's kind of an arbitrary stat anyways. How do you actually know when a quarterback feels pressure? He can only actually answer that definitively for he anyone, He have a little right? clicker in does his he, hand. Does he look like he's feeling yeah. that pressure right now? Is he, yeah, a little you know, bit. he moved there. Is that because he felt pressure? Who knows, right? It's hard to count pressures because you can't even really define only the guy that is being pressured can tell you when he felt pressured or not. So he'd have to, he'd have to watch film afterwards as the CFL and check the box every time he actually felt pressure on a snap. But so I was like an online survey. Did you feel pressure on this play? But we we can't agree. So they do still keep track of sacks because sacks are something that either happen or don't happen. And that's when a quarterback is taken down behind the line of scrimmage with the football. And so we know those are absolute one way or the other. So, even though that you can't you can't really judge a uh, defensive line, it's not 100% accurate for me to say they got five sacks, so that means they pressure the hell out of the quarterback. No, I mean, the only pressures you might have got that game are those five sacks. But for the most part, uh, if you're getting a number of sacks, that means you're probably getting a number of pressures because it takes a lot of pressures usually before you get to a quarterback. So it is a good indication, right? It's a good precursor of pressure, the number of quarterback sacks. So what I did, I went and I looked at the Montreal game. I looked at the game and in the game they had four sacks and that is very good for a defensive line to have four sacks. But then I was like, I don't really care about the whole game. I want to think, I want to look at the fourth quarter of that game. It was the fourth quarter is when 21-point comeback happened, 250 yards of passing. Uh, Vernon Adams was unstoppable. There were no sacks in that quarter. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, well, that's a coincidence, maybe. So then I looked. I said, well, let's look at the Hamilton game now. What's the problem with the Hamilton game? I'm like, well, the first half, right? The first half, uh, Dane Evans threw for 308 yards. He had an 81% completion ratio. That's, he was as good as a quarterback can be in the first half of that game. They scored 24 points, essentially won the game in two quarters. And I said, okay, well, how many sacks were in that first half? Zero. Again. So in these problem areas, I'm finding that the the Winnipeg pass rush is not getting home. And what that tells me, even though we can't definitively say how much they're pressuring or not because that stat is not available to us, we could sit there and count and guess, but... In my mind, this secondary was propped up and is propped up by this defensive line by how good they are, okay? And the minute this defensive line is uh, is gassed or, or not getting home or getting blocked or scenarios like Hamilton did where they brought in double tights to you know uh, make the edge longer and to have guys there that can chip on the ends and such, the minute they get slowed down, the secondary gets exposed, 
in my mind. And that's that's kind of what I picked up just from watching these last two games because I didn't I was like you. I was like, what the hell defense is this? I've not seen this defense before. We've seen 12 games from them up to now. They were always bailing out this team. They were always the backbone of this team. They were propping up this offense. And then they they just got exposed on the back end. And all of a sudden, people are getting behind the secondary. Uh, guys were confused on who they're supposed to be covering, so on and so forth. And call it a coincidence if you want, but in these two huge problem segments for this defense in these last two games where they lost, the defense was not getting sacks in those periods where the back end was getting exposed and people, it looked like the secondary couldn't run with these receivers. So it might be... Uh, this defense is even more dependent upon, you know, I think teams are starting to figure out, wow, they have an amazing front. We have to do everything we can in the world, slow these guys down, max protection, uh, putting, going double tight, doing whatever we have, having a back chip, whatever, getting the ball out of our hands. Dane Evans was getting rid of that ball so quickly in that first half. Anything to tire these guys down and get them off their game because they figured out that if we can just take these guys out of the equation, we're going to have a field day on the back end with the coverage. And I think that is where the disconnect happened. And that's what I was uh, noticing. And I think that is what they need to focus on to solve this problem going forward. The defensive line just has to sit down and recognize, hey, you know, the fortunes of this football team, offensively and defensively, probably resting, you're the best position grouping we have here. And unless you guys put your fingerprints and your stamp on every game for the most part, you know, it's going to be difficult. With Jackson Jeffcoat coming back in the lineup, sort of figured that the Blue Bombers might be able to up their game a tiny bit there. Didn't exactly happen. And we touched on this somewhat when we discussed the Montreal game, just this idea of you hear the terminology coverage sack. Well, this is almost the exact opposite, right? Where the where the off- the defensive line is so counted on to put pressure on the offense and on, and on the quarterback. And when it's not happening, you're just leaving the defensive backs out to dry. So yeah. can Brandon Alexander, if he gets back in the lineup, can he make him one guy make a difference in a group of five like that? Or is, does it just come down to the blue bombers having to scheme differently and figure out ways to ensure they get some of that, whether you can quantify it or not pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. I think Brandon Alexander is the leader of that secondary. Um, definitely. I think he's a very talented guy. Um, I think he can help communication, so on and so forth. Um, but it's interesting, even against, uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, Jackson Jeffcoat, he got, he got the sack in that game. They only had one sack in that game, but another player where Willie Jefferson, the only interception that Dane Evans threw in that entire game was when Willie Jefferson got in his face and they challenged it for roughing the pass or whatever, but that was the easiest pick Adam Big Hill is ever going to have in his career. And that was because all six foot seven plus his arm length uh, was in Dave and Evans' face. And it goes to show you that's two plays right there, sacked by Jeff Coat and uh, and that pressure by Willie Jefferson changes everything in the back end. And it's almost like that secondary was propped up the entire season uh, by how good these guys have been. Teams have not been able to successfully block these guys. There's too much talent there. There's a rotation there. They can all get in the backfield. They can all you know take turns at being disruptive and 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 getting vertical. And uh, eventually you ran into uh, a Montreal team where Vernon Adams in the fourth quarter was able to escape that rush, buy more time. Guys in the back end couldn't cover. And then 
Dane Evans and Hamilton, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to get the ball out of your hands. We're not going to have to hold up. We're going to get, so pressure is not a factor anymore. And the secondary wasn't responding. They weren't jumping routes. They weren't playing aggressively um, off the get-go. So to me, there's just a disconnect right now between the front and the secondary. And in my mind, it, only the front can do something about it. They are, they have the ability, the talent, the attitude, uh, the depth to be able to make a difference in these remaining four games going forward. I, I'm not really sure if we can do anything at this point in the season about the secondary, about the personnel back there and or the play calling. I think it's up to the defensive front. Okay, I wanted to ask you about Dean Evans, but we're we're kind of running out of time. Do you want to give him kudos though? You were sort of hard on him coming into this game. You know, he's a backup, but I, I think I think he's proven his medal since going oh God, since yeah. taking over for Jeremiah Mazzoli. I love his composure. I love how quickly he makes decisions, and he he goes through his progressions very quickly. Yeah, I think I said off air in between with Bob on the broadcast. I was I think I said something like I would trade. Uh, you know, Chris Strebler and uh, Stanley Bryant for Dane Evans without blinking. Like, just like, he's, I mean, I wasn't a big fan when I saw him, when he came and when Jeremiah Mazzoli, we were there in Hamilton, Jeremiah Mazzoli was leading the Tiger Cats 14 nothing. He got hurt, came out of the game. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Now we have a chance to win this game because it was getting away. And even though Dane Evans managed to hang on in that game, I wasn't impressed by what I saw by him. I was like, oh, here's a guy. This is a game we should win. He was erratic. He wasn't consistent. He didn't look like he had a real great grasp of the offense. But obviously that was his first, uh, my initial assessment of him was in his first game running uh, running the show offensively. So the way he's progressed up till now, I mean, my Lord, uh, you wish. I mean, Strebler has, a lot of people think he's improved. I, I would probably agree he has improved his uh uh, his skill set overall as a passer and a runner and running the offense and leading those guys out there, I would say from last year to this year, I'd say he's improved. But he's not Dane Evans improved. Dane Evans has improved from whatever week that game was to now. I mean, that is a crazy learning curve that this guy, he looks like a bona fide veteran starter that's been back there for seven years now. And uh, granted, it's probably a product of the scheme and the players he's playing with, so on and so forth. But is he ever a polished, accomplished quarterback now? They have an excellent problem in Hamilton in terms of what to do with their quarterbacks going forward. Well, well, let me tell you this. uh, It's been since week seven that Dane Evans took over the reins for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He has well over 2,300 yards passing. The Hamilton Tiger Cats have three receivers with more receiving yardage than the leading Winnipeg Blue Bomber receiver. So uh, why don't we dovetail that conversation into the struggles that, that... Chris Strebler's had throwing the ball. Yes, he threw for 304 yards on Friday night. A ton of that was in garbage time. And he just has over 1,000 yards passing in his five games as a starter. He's 2-3. and three. The Bombers are 1-3 and three overall in their last four games. Where do we go from here? How do we dissect this? And, and you know, we've already decided that the defensive line is sort of the key to any future fortunes the Blue Bombers have, but but Chris Strebler has to get better at throwing the ball. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're not uh, explosive enough offensively anymore. I mean, a, having a, a ground attack and being very good at running the football is excellent, especially if there's a playoff environment that is completely, you know, sloppy out there, wet, cold, wind, whatever. 
that's going to be great to have Andrew Harris and Chris Streveler. But if you are in a game that is a track meet and it's dynamic and there's explosion plays happening, I mean, I just don't know. I think you're bringing a knife to a gunfight potentially uh, with Streveler right now. Uh, he has shown flashes, but whether he can be consistently, he seems to make that one mistake every game via the passing game. Uh, you see him after the first time he throws an interception, the play calling gets pulled, reined in big time in a hurry. They get conservative in a hurry. They're worried it's going to happen again. Or the one pick he does throw is catastrophic, uh, like like that screenplay uh, where it was just an off-target thing behind his intended. And that's two passes he's had intercepted on screenplays in two consecutive games. Something that you think should be fairly safe, right? There's a lot going on in terms of your movement as a quarterback and drawing the pressure to you. And then so many pieces and parts are moving there and, and guys are getting out in front and there's blockers and there's the wash of the defensive line there and the, the second level. So there's a lot of moving parts. Well, there's there. a lot of patience involved yeah. in making that play, right? Yeah. It's not just simple well, as it super sounds. Finessed, like your touch on the football has to be un- like it's incredible, incredibly difficult for, for, for that kind of touch pass. Patience as well, Doug, yeah, and to oh yeah, let things sure. develop, right? Yeah. And, and see what happens. So in terms of patience, Winnipeg Blue Bombers kind of were leading the pack in the Western Division, and now they find themselves tied for first, but with a little bit of an asterisk, they are essentially in third place as we discuss things uh, moving forward here because the Calgary Stampeders and Saskatchewan Rough Riders have a game in hand on the Blue Bombers, even though all three teams have 18 points. So, uh, I mean, Kelly Moore pointed it out earlier today, the fact that the Bombers run the table. They're still in control of their own destiny because they play Saskatchewan Saturday. They play Calgary twice. But, I, I mean, that's unrealistic, is it not, to expect them to go from uh, this 1-3 uh, and three run to, to go on a 4-0 run to close it's up just, the season? In, in my mind, it's amazing how quickly things change, right? We went from this Hamilton game where we are wondering who the best team in the league was. Uh, we know who that is right now, certainly. Um, Hamilton definitely outclassed Winnipeg. And now it's like, okay, let's reshift our focus to just who's the best in the Western Division now. And, uh, you know, you can have lulls in your season uh, where things don't go as planned and, and you get off 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 the rails for a little bit, but there's four games left now. And uh, the next one is not easy in Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan has a lot to play for. Winnipeg has a lot to play for. It's on the road. I mean, it's not going to be that different from the Labor Day Classic. It's not going to be easy out there. And uh, that's a tough game. Uh, Montreal, whether that's a revenge game or not, uh, who knows what they're going to bring back there. And then two games against Calgary, a team that uh, is very accustomed to getting their way and having their first round by and first place finish in the Western Division. Uh, The room for error, the margin for error in these remaining games just got real small in a hurry. So uh, if you have a limited attention span, guess what? There's only four games left now in the regular season, and they all mean uh, an S-ton. I, I won't say that, even though it's a podcast, I'm not sure where to say it. But yeah, they're all very, very important now. And uh, they'll go a long way in determining, you know, is it going to be business as usual for this team fighting for 
uh, you know, a semifinal home game, or are they going to be on the road in the semifinal? It certainly seems like they're going to have the work cut out for them if they want that first round by. Edmonton has two games left against Saskatchewan and finds themselves four points behind Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. So I'm not counting out the Eskimos in this race down the stretch here either. I had them uh, dead and buried, but uh, I would have to say that the Eskimos could still be a factor as we moved down the stretch here. Dare I propose the idea of the Blue Bombers having to go through the East as the crossover team? Something crazy. Unimaginable three weeks ago, but yeah, they've it been is... in first place for so long this season. And so just what, does to see do? what does that do? Yeah. What does that do to your, your psyche, Doug? Yeah, it does for sure. It, it would affect your team, your mental state for sure on on a football team when you're scrambling to find ways or silver linings. And oh, we'll go through the East and be like, what? You guys were just you guys were the front runner in the Western conference and division and people were talking about you being at the top of the power rankings and the best team in football and the most depth and the talent and now you're talking about an eastern division crossover and that's a little bit of you want to talk about a severance between a little bit of discontinuity in your mind in terms of are we a good team or are we just is it over uh you know was the highlight of our season back in july kind of thing and has it been a slow regression? So, like I say, this final four games, holy smokes, pressure is mounting on this football team, and hopefully they can pull out of this stumble. I, you mentioned July. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers gave up exactly 58 points in all of July, and, have, and they gave up 45 points in three quarters going back to Saturday afternoon, a week and a half ago in Montreal, and Friday night at home against Hamilton. So We're a summer team. It, we're, we're a summer team. Yeah, that wasn't supposed to be the case. So I went out on a limb and suggested that Friday's game was a must win. You weren't quite so sure about that, and... Uh, could, can you say that about what's happening this Saturday in oh, Saskatchewan? Have to win now. This is this is a must win. Doug. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is the tiebreaker for the season series with Saskatchewan. Uh, they took the Labor Day Classic, the Bombers took the Banjo Bowl, and uh, now with Saskatchewan one win behind Winnipeg, you know this game means every. This is the tiebreaker right now for if these teams with four games left, there'll be three after this game. Um, if they it's a huge thing to uh, to take the tiebreaker. So this is going to be a playoff football look from both squads and franchises, I think, in this in this matchup. Edmonton trying to redeem themselves from a last play loss to Hamilton where they came back from 24 down in Edmonton a couple of weeks ago. They play the Tiger Cats, so they're going to be hungry to try and prove some things. Hamilton is home and cool. They don't need to worry about a thing, right? They're, They've almost the, got the, the uh, first round by locked up. So And uh, Montreal will have uh, their uh, their seven forty seven. Mister Adams back into the uh, into fresh the lineup. Off suspension. Your fresh off suspension, so he'll have something to prove. As Calgary goes to Montreal and then Toronto B- BC, a game that that really doesn't mean a thing. I guess unless Edmonton loses again, then you could argue all of a sudden if the BC Lions beat the Toronto Argonauts at ten points, Edmonton on fourteen points, the uh, the BC Lions have new life. And who would have imagined we'd be talking about that? So. What do you think? It, we know that they need to win on Saturday. I guess the question now is, will they win? Do they have the fortitude? Do yeah. they have the ability to scheme, change what they've done, find a way to get to Corey Fajardo and to put pressure on him for four quarters? Because we've been pretty clear. That's the key to the Blue Bombers' success. Will they be able to do that? For me, the real it comes down to the recipe to beat Winnipeg is now out there broadcast sure. right people saw what montreal did in that 
in that fourth quarter. They saw what Hamilton did against them, how successful, how they took the run away, how they made them one-dimensional and forced Strebler to throw the ball, you know, an unprecedented amount and how how, effective they were. How ironic is it, though, Doug, and I apologize for interrupting you, but how ironic is it that really the key is for teams to abandon the run themselves because you can't run against the Blue Bombers and then to take away their running game. Yeah. And, you know, here we are in 2019. The key to Canadian football is not supposed to begin and end with the running game for either team, but here we are. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, but like you said, the blueprint is out there. It is uh, available on film <laughs> for, you know, two bad, ugly losses for the Winnipeg Football Club, and now they have to be able to overcome the fact that, you know, this is what teams are going to adapt. This is their strength. If you're a defensive coordinator, you're going to do what has worked. Right. And nothing is fresher than the last two weeks in terms of what has been successful for teams facing off with this club. So uh, they're going to have to overcome that. Uh, The noise is only going to get louder outside and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether they can regain their footing, their composure, and their confidence on Saturday in Saskatchewan. A very non-committal, non-prediction prediction from Doug Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see them be able to pull out of this. I, I, I don't know if they can. We will see. It'll be. A, it's a tough place to go in uh, when you're looking for salvation. You don't necessarily want to go to Regina, my friend. That's not the place where dreams come true. So we'll see what happens. It happened in the playoffs last year, and the Blue Bombers outside of Labor Day have actually been quite good at the new Mosaic Stadium. So maybe there's that going for them if you're looking for a little bit of history to inspire you and uh, to help you feel a little bit better as you make your way through the week. Doug, we'll reconvene next week for another edition of the podcast, hopefully. Hopefully, we're not talking about three consecutive Winnipeg Blue Bomber losses. It would be a, a, a very sad, sad, sad convening of uh, at least one football mind on this podcast. I agree with you there. We'll okay. see what happens. Okay, my man. Thank All you. Right. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.